first is for Greg Upham, who is desperately trying to leave the land of Israel. I know it sounds odd, <laughs> but uh, he's been stuck at the airport or shuttling back and forth between there and Tel Aviv, trying to get away from the land of Israel. So uh, pray for him. He had work, I think, to do this morning, and that's shot. And then work, you know, the shot. Okay, so. Um, second is uh, my Aunt Lynn, my wife's Aunt Lynn. You know, um, she's, uh, she's helping Juicy uh, drive their car to Texas. Two women driving a car all the way to Texas. <laughs> Everybody else on the road. My grandmother Just a little bit of one at least. 
uh, about what we're talking about, talking about the events in the heavens. So someone read Matthew 16, 1 through 4. Got it? Go ahead. Yes. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times, signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Now see, what they're basically looking for, they want a miraculous something or other. Um, and Yeshua's point back was, pay attention to what's actually happening. See, see, I'm here, I'm doing all these incredible things. You should be picking up the clues. Um, I use that passage kind of almost not as a reverse what Yeshua said, but slightly interpreted differently, um, playing off of the heavens approach. Because if there are things happening in the heavens that possibly do have some reference, I think it's helpful to pay attention to them. This is something we use to predict the future or figure out exactly what's going to happen in the next few years. But it is something I think that should catch our attention and make us go, wait a minute, hmm, maybe. Um, if someone could also look at 1 Chronicles 12.32. This is probably one of those verses you skipped over when you read the Bible. Got it. Go for it. 12.32. Men of Issachar who understood the times and knew that Israel would do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. The men of Issachar were men who understood the times. Basically, according to Jewish tradition, they actually were the original creators, supposedly, of the calendar for the festivals, which we will experience a lot this evening as we go through some of that stuff. Um, the point, again, being, though, is they used their wisdom that God had given them to look at the things happening in the heavens and to figure out how things should line up to help them keep Torah. Specifically, in that case, they were looking at the calendar. Okay, how do we figure out, you know, basically how the calendar should work? That's tradition. I'm not saying that's actually true. Historically, they point that to Hillel, or that time period over here. But, still, the tradition is there because, again, it's talking about being wise. And by the way, questions are welcome if you have questions or comments. In case, in case that wasn't obvious in this particular room, but, you know. I'm a very intimidating speaker, so I, you know, apologize in advance. My favorite concept of this issue is from Lubavitch already. Um, they actually have a comment about uh, eclipses. Someone says, should we have a blessing for an eclipse? There's a blessing for everything, right? Actually, not for an eclipse. The reason is because Judaism traditionally sees eclipses as a bad thing. Eclipses are kind of scary and frightening and weird. We'll get more of that in a minute. Uh, and Lubavitcher Rebbe would use that time as an opportunity for prayer and introspection. I think it's great advice. Regardless of whether or not we you know, try to predict the future with it, which I don't think we necessarily should do, um, regardless of what's like what it means, it's definitely a good reminder that, hey, crazy things are happening in the world. Let's pay attention. Let's be in prayer, an extra prayer, because maybe something dramatic is going to be going on, and we want to be part of that. Some also fast according to Chabad's tradition. So. Um, we're going to go to the Talmud now. This is Sukkah 29a. So if you've got your notes, then you can find out your Talmud. Some of you might. Um, Sukkah 29a talks about eclipses. According to Judaism, a solar eclipse is bad for the world. Okay. A lunar eclipse is bad for Israel. You'll notice throughout um, Jewish tradition, the uh, moon is associated with people of Israel, specifically um, the kingdom of David. And in addition, of course, Israel counts their calendar by the moon. The pagan world goes by the sun. So, 
parable in Suga 29a, and I'm getting this from the Judea Christian Research, so my translation would be a little funky, but um, their parable is, what can this be compared to a human being who made a banquet for his servants and put it for them a lamp? When he became wroth with them, he said to his servants, take away the lamp from them and let them sit in the dark. In other words, God's putting out the light when there's a solar eclipse. So Judaism sees this as a bad thing, not a good thing. Um, and the reasons, they actually, they actually have a whole list of reasons why solar eclipses happen, supposedly. Spiritual reasons, which I thought was interesting. Um, according to Judaism tradition, one is that a Torah scholar who is not mourned properly. I hate him now. Another reason is a betrothed maiden who is raped and cries out, but no one saves her. Remember from the, the Torah that if a woman is raped in a, in a city or a situation, she should cry out for rescue. Um, and that's like her justification for being innocent. So if she does what she's supposed to do and no one helps her, that's bad. Okay. Um, another one is homosexuality. In general? Um, I think in general. Oh, she's got plenty of that, unfortunately, in this country. So. Um, another one is two brothers killed at the same time. So um, we're hoping that we move on Sunday. Jeremiah and I are both safe and fine. Siege works. 
there's actually several references. Uh, the first one that I'm going to bring up is Ecclesiastes 12.2. So someone could read Ecclesiastes. Go ahead and read me first one and two. I got it. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the reading. So obviously talking about a depressing, sad time, um, through the entire chapter, uh, it seems to focus on death. But the passage itself is also almost even more extreme than death because it talks about it affecting the entire community. Granted, death of an important person in the community does affect them all, but it almost has a little bit of a feel, like almost like kind of an apocalyptic feel to it. Um, so the moon going dark is obviously associated with very bad times, negative things. Um, the next reference will further uh, focus that. Isaiah 13.10. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. And the passage context is talking about the day of the Lord, um, and it's this awesome and terrifying day of judgment. So again, um, the moon going dark is associated with judgment. Uh, there's that quasi-exception. I like the word quasi. It's confused with the conversation right now. Um, Isaiah 60, verse 19, does sort of reference kind of the moon not giving light. Um, so let's read that. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, though the brightness shall be the moon give you light, or give light to you, that the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God, your glory. And that's why the uh, Messianic era of the world to come. Uh, of course, in that context, the moon is essentially being overshadowed uh, by the light and glory of God. <laughs> so, um, in that sense, it's not sort of the moon going dark, which is the moon just not being necessary. Um, Next one, Ezekiel 32.7. When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give us light. Um, this passage is talking about a horrific uh, display of judgment upon Egypt. Um, remember that, we're going to talk a little about them again later at the end of class. Um, and the... Uh, but again, it's talking about judgment. So, so far, um, we've got kind of like a personal judgment day, kind of a judgment day of the people of Israel, and then judgment day on a pagan nation, all kind of sprinkled in here. Um, generally speaking, the moon going dark is not so cool. Now, I do want to bring out a quick point of pause before we go on to the next set of references. Because the next section is the infamous Joel chapter 2 and 3. Joel 2 and 3 is the passage you're going to see more times when you search for Jewish festivals and eclipses than any other passage. Because everybody right now, it seems like, or not everybody, too many people in the Messianic world are really freaking out about this, trying to associate it with the end of days. Um, let me just quickly say, uh, to temper a little cold water on that concept, um, and we're going to look at Joel a little bit here. I do not think the eclipses in the next few years are in any way directly related to the end of time. Should we quote you on that? Yeah. You can quote me on that. Okay. Four years from now, we'll have another it. conversation about something else. But that's not going to be what's going on. So the point being, um, I want part of the point of this class is to not only give you an idea of what to be praying for, be thinking about in the next couple of years, 
but also to help hopefully give you a little bit of ammo um, to potentially deal with people who may be a little overboard on this concept, and also help you be better prepared if people think you are crazy because they've read those people. Um, yeah, my apologies if that comes off offensive, but again, um, as we look a little bit closer at this, we'll find that it's not nearly as dramatic as people want to be. Um, Joel 2, chapter 10. Got it. <coughs> the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. Joel chapter 2 begins with judgment on Israel and talking about the army of the Lord, um, which is very dramatic and quite frightening. Um, but, again, that does not seem to be necessarily what we're talking about here. Those events are extreme. I mean, these are really big, 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 big stuff. God's going to pour out a massive wrath here. Um, not saying that it couldn't happen, it just doesn't seem to really fit with where we are in history, time, place, whatever, right now. Hypothetically, maybe, but probably not. The other one, Joel 2.31, and I want you, if I could get someone to read that, let's back up just a little bit. Let's start in verse... 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun shall be darkened, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the great awesome day of the Lord comes. Again, we've got the day of the Lord. Um, and Joel 3.15. The sun and moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish to their brightness. Now, what I'm going to do here is basically argue that the day of the Lord is not happening next year. And the reason I say that is because if you look at the day of the Lord and the way that it's used throughout Scripture, it's seen as like an ultimate judgment day. It's a big deal. We just described we this passage earlier, signs in the heavens, blood, smoke, all this stuff. If you read the book of Revelation, it's full of just unbelievably crazy things. Most importantly, though, in Daniel and Revelation and someone else, especially those two, we got timelines. We're totally missing timelines right now because the day of the Lord is really portrayed as an awesome day of judgment, sort of like at the end. The problem is that if you go to the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel, we got at least three and a half years of something that should be happening first. Most of the time. And I don't know about you, but I don't really feel like we're in the worst tribulation of all time. So, in light of that, I don't see the necessary precursor events to lead into that. Other people will look at Joel chapter 2, and they will argue that um, the rapture is going to happen sometime in the next two years. Again, I don't like that either, because I think that if you look at the scriptures, um, the, the rapture, as it's called, assuming it even really happens exactly like that, uh, does not seem to happen at the beginning of, beginning of the problems for God's people, but rather it seems to be happening towards the end of the very end of it. God's traditionally, if you look at God's uh, actions throughout history with his people, he very rarely saves his people before the problems start. Most of the time, it's the last possible minute, the 11th hour, the people of Israel against the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army is right behind them, and it... I just read about that. Yeah, you should be reading about <laughs> So, in light of that, um, I don't think that we're all going to be in the air sometime in the next two years. Yes, sir? So, to summarize, you're not saying that these passages won't come to pass. 
you're simply stating that these passages represent a time that's not coming up right away. Exactly. That's absolutely correct. Because what we're going to find out is as much as people want to make a big deal about what's happening in, uh, with the eclipses and the holidays of, of the Lord in the next few years, it's not the first time. More importantly, um, the end of the Genesis website highlights the fact that the blood moon here in Joel 2, um, a lot of people have grasped on that because they, they point out that the lunar eclipse sometimes makes the moon go red, almost like it's made of blood. The problem with that is that the answer the Genesis website points out, that doesn't always happen. Even a total eclipse can result in an orangish moon or a whole bunch of peach-colored moon, weird things. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to turn to blood. Also, if you'll notice, in um, Joel, in fact, in almost all these references, the primary focus of these things, these crazy, dramatic, huge deal events, is very singular. We're getting ready to enter a stage where there are four total eclipses that are going to fall on Jewish holidays, and a solar eclipse in that as well. That's five. Now that might refer to signs in the heavens, like Joel talks about, but I don't think it's referring to specifically the moon going red and the sun, the sun going black, like an event, a specific event. Um, the Answers in Genesis website also points out that the eclipse that's coming up is not a total eclipse, which means that most of the people won't even know an eclipse is going on. Which eclipse? The solar eclipse? Solar eclipse, which I'll get to the dates in a second, it's going to be happening in Rosh Hashanah of next yeah. year. And then there's, is there a full solar eclipse between the two? There is another solar eclipse happening on first the first of Nisan. Nisan which is a total solar eclipse, correct? Right? I can't remember if that was total or not. I know the one in Rosh Hashanah is not. Right. It's um, and that one is supposed to be, as far as what I've seen, that is a total solar eclipse nestled between two blood moons. Right. The other highlight, though, about the potential blood moon issue is that, um, and again, the Answers in Genesis website just kind of rebuts some of this. They also follow up by pointing out that the um, the moon, the lunar eclipses, three of the four will not even be visible from Israel. So, if it's signs in the heavens and all of this is written to God's people, it seems a little odd. The one group of people, or one of the one of the group of people who won't see any of it, basically, is Israel. That's kind of weird. This is, again, it doesn't fit. Not to say it's not significant. Diaspora scripture. But it, it, <laughs> but it doesn't quite fit with the end of the world kind of discussion that we're having in the prophets. So I'm uh, just simply trying to temper that enthusiasm a little bit. The world's probably not ending in the next couple of years. Um, but that being said, this is still cool. This is where I'm going to need you guys to put on your thinking caps here because we're going to get ready to do a little bit of math, some definite history. And it's going to be a little bit creepy, so get excited. Here we go. Um, coming up in the years 2014, that's this year, and 2015, there will be four consecutive total lunar eclipses that will fall on Pesach and Sukkot. So we'll have one on Passover, then another one on Sukkot, then the next Passover and the next Sukkot. So Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, four in a row are going to have a total lunar eclipse. That's weird. Not in, unheard of, but weird. Okay. That specific thing has only happened seven times before this year, since the year zero. Those seven times don't always necessarily mean anything dramatic. There were four of them, four sets rather, um, in 162, 163, 795, 796, and a couple in the 800s, um, and really nothing happened. Dramatic. For those who are new with the 
Hebrew calendar, maybe you could explain why you put down these it's double years. years. Okay, um, basically Passover and uh, Feast of Tabernacles Sukkot are going to be in one Gregorian year, um, albeit in tech, but they're they're overlapping with the Jewish years. It's going to be kind of weird. So you have because the Jewish year falls begins September usually between Pesach and Sukkot. Between Pesach and Sukkot. So you end up with a different year, in a sense, for from the first Passover and the second event, which is Sukkot, there'll actually be a different Hebrew year. Okay. Then the following Passover will be in the same Hebrew year as the, as the Sukkot, but the next Sukkot will be in the next Hebrew year. So you have three Hebrew years in two Gregorian years, and that's why it's spread out over four years. Now, what they call, NASA actually has a term for this four consecutive to, total lunar eclipses called, called a tetrad. Um, now, and uh, I'm not sure, I can't remember if every one of these is an actual tetrad, um, but I do know that this, um, this year, I'm pretty sure it is, it's unusual uh, to have four consecutive lunar eclipses all be total. It does happen, but it's not a huge deal. So the NASA calls that a tetrad. They, if you go on their website, you can see like every single time this has happened in all of history, according to their uh, calculations. Uh, but again, there have been four times where it was lined up perfectly with the Jewish holidays, just like we're about to have this upcoming time, and really nothing happened. Um, in the year 161, Marcus Aurelius became emperor. That brought around some persecution. That was bad. Uh, you ever seen the movie Gladiator? That's basically the stuff that happened there. Not end of the world. So I just wanted that again to temper some enthusiasm here. We're not predicting the future. This is simply to highlight things happening in the next couple of years, be watching and praying. Um, but as you can see, it's not a definite predictor of anything. But before you think, why am I here? This is boring. I feel like nothing's going to happen. It has happened in some years that were really interesting. Um, there's a passage there in 1492 to 95, and I'll explain the years in a minute. Um, these lunar eclipses, the, the four total ones, oftentimes are sandwiched, actually every time. From what I see, are sandwiched by other eclipses on Jewish holidays. So from 1492 to 95, there was at least one Jewish holiday that had an eclipse on it each one of those years. Ditto from 1948 to 1951. You should recognize those years too if you know Israeli history. And 1967 to 69. Again, more holiday years you should know from Israeli history. And we're going to break that down in a second. Do you have a question? Yes, sir. Did happen? Uh, you, you said the Marcus Aurelius on 162, and anything happened on the other three days? The other ones were linked again with some levels of persecution and things, but it's nothing like, from what I can tell, nothing hugely dramatic occurs um, around those times. So if that is kind of picture a year across the timeline, there's going to be Jewish persecution. Right, exactly. I, I mean, it may be more intense than normal, but again, it's not, it's not as dramatic. These four, these four, everyone, these three, Everyone that you read on the internet talks about these three. They all immediately go, oh, I know what happened that year. Because those are big years. These are not big years. You might find something interesting in them, but it's not like, you know, if you've been, you went through fifth grade history, you probably know at least something that happened in 1492. Maybe you could have some of the class members tell us what happened during those years, because I know there's some people in the room that probably don't know. Oh, I'm sorry, for example. You never know what Jerry Don't knows. worry. I will yeah, walk through. We're going to walk, <laughs> <laughs> walk through all of these. All right. Um, and again, I do emphasize, if you have questions, please ask, because we're going to go through a bunch of stuff going on in the heavens and a bunch of dates. So if it gets confusing, just shout out. I'd be happy to explain. 
Yes, sir. Uh, weird question, but um, it's just brilliant that these eclipses fall and coincide with biblical festivals. Are there any like consecutive or anything that fall on non-biblical, like just random ones, or is this? Oh yeah, no, yeah. Four lunar eclipses can happen normally without having anything to do with Jewish festivals. Um, in addition, because of the, um, the end of the Genesis website points out that lunar eclipses and solar eclipses lining up with Jewish holidays is not so bizarre, because those are actually the seasons um, traditionally for a lot of the eclipses. So. The odds of them doing it is not impossibly rare. It's just unusual for it to happen so many times in such close succession, and that's why that's only happened seven times before this year. So this is your this is the eighth occurrence of that. Probably fewer if you're a terrorist. Yeah, yeah, well, probably a lot fewer. Maybe a lot more. I don't know. So this would be the first time, or the third time in a generation, or in right. seventy years. That right. This would be the third time in the last. If there were graphs, it'd be like mm -hmm. yeah, it's a spike. Yeah, this is definitely a spike, which is interesting. Just a, a short comment that almost everybody wouldn't even second guess the NASA website going back in time showing all these. But to go back in time and say that Gamil's calendar was was any good would, would be a real problem. So, yeah. thank, you, thank you, Carrots. Yeah, so that's what I was about to ask about. It, it, does that, uh, in your opinion, affirm the current Jewish calendar you have now? Um, I, I don't see why not. I think it's pretty cool. It definitely stands out. Um, but I didn't look specifically at the Carrot dates. I didn't have a Carrot website to pull up. One of the cool parts is, um, by the way, I, I'll, I'm going to mention in my, uh, in my slides here where I get my sources, but I found a really interesting website that will give you every Jewish holiday on the nominal uh, calendar all the way back as far as you possibly want to go, which is really cool. And it'll tell you what Jewish year it's in and what Gregorian year it's in. Um, so I use that. And they're reformed, but okay, they still keep the right dates. Um, so 1492, we're going to look at the first one. Um, the very first eclipse was a lunar eclipse. It occurred on April 12th in the year 1492, which is Pesach or Passover in the Hebrew year of 5252. So that's a lot of numbers. Basically, the first one occurs on April 12th of 1492. Now, it's a penumbral eclipse. I'm going to explain what that means. Penumbral eclipse means it's difficult to see, basically. That's the gist of it. Not a total eclipse. It's just a general eclipse. It kind of got a little bit of a shadow there. You know, it's not as easy to see the moon as normal. Um, later, on Eric Sukkot, the following the same year, on October 5th, you got another penumbral eclipse. So we've got back-to-back um, -back here in 1492 that match up, but they're not total. So remember, that's what we're looking for specifically. The total ones happened in 1493 to 94. We've got Passover. We've got Eric Sukkot. Passover, Arab Sukkot. One of the great parts of the Jewish holidays that really helps with this is that a Jewish holiday will span two Gregorian days because it starts at sundown the day before. So the fact that it doesn't exactly line up with actual Feast of Tabernacles Day 1 in 1493 is irrelevant because the day before was also Feast of Tabernacles Day 1. Um, so that really helps out here when you're talking about, because you can kind of play a little bit of a game there with the dates. Um, of course, if it happens in the evening of the next day, maybe it's not really part of the first day or not, but either way, it's close enough. So that makes it interesting to watch for our purposes.
Now, keep in mind, the dates here are really interesting. The last one is Shushan Kareem. Remember that. It'll show up again. Um, and now we've got this whole setup. Shushan Kareem, by the way, is the second day of Forum. It is traditionally celebrated um, in, in Jerusalem, walled, walled cities, uh, because it plays off of uh, the festival for the festival of Esther. Uh, Esther goes back to the king on day two and says, we got a great victory yesterday. Let's do it again here in the capital of Shushan. So, um, it's a, so while you may be used to celebrating only one day of Purim, in the land of Israel at least, they will technically celebrate it too. Um, continuing, this is where it gets kind of freaky and cool. The math starts really playing interesting games. Because we talked about the four total eclipses. What's weird though is if you go back to the first time you have an eclipse on a Jewish holiday, and then back up seven years more, there's another one. This year time, in the year of, let's see, this would be 1485, there was a solar eclipse on Arab Rosh Hashanah. Um, an annual solar eclipse, which basically means the moon is too far away to cover all the sun. We're talking, this is a technicality, it's not no one really saw the eclipse, but it is technically an eclipse. Now, of course, what happened in the year 1492? Spanish expulsion of Jews. Columbus may have been Jewish, by the way, so that's some guys out. Um, the big deal is the edict in March 30th said, we're tired of the Jews. Let's kick all of the Jews out of Spain, or convert. In July 30th, that act was enforced. In between these two is the first of our eclipses that year, which is kind of cool. I mean, that's tragic, but interesting nonetheless. Now, the Hebrew dates, remember, we got Gregorian dates, 1492. But the Hebrew date is a different year altogether. Now, the first Hebrew date, remember that one seven years before, this is 1485. The Hebrew year was the year 5246, because Israel, Jewish tradition, is counting from creation. They're starting at the very beginning. They didn't have a weird reset to zero about 2,000 years ago. They're going all the way through. So their year is 5246. The final eclipse in our little sequence there, which is uh, in like, 1495, is in the Hebrew year 5255. This is just simply for fun. It may not mean anything, but I thought it was kind of cool. Both add up to the year number 17. If you add 5 plus 2 plus 4 plus 6, you add up 5 plus 2 plus 5 plus 5, they both add up to 17. Okay. Interestingly enough, the number 17 in Hebrew gematria, which is like the number values of the letters, um, so if you have a word, it also has a number value. One of the words that has 17 is boy. Boy, day. Which is very interesting considering that was the year of the Jewish expulsion from Spain. One of the worst um, instances of Jewish persecution in history. What's boy in Spanish? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> there you say boy. Maybe not. Boy does. You might want to get boy in that. I think there's a use of boy, I think, in the Hebrew scripture text. The Hebrew, now, if you, if you look, let's go back real quick. I'm going to go back so quick. Um, if you look at the Hebrew dates, don't look at the rest of them. Look at the Hebrew dates. 5252 is here. And then you've got pairs after that because of the offsetting with the Gregorian calendar. So Passover is all by itself. But then the next Sukkot, the next Passover, they're in the same Hebrew year. And the next Sukkot, the next Passover, they're in the same Hebrew year. And then the next Sukkot and the Korim that caps the whole thing out at the end all in the same Hebrew year. The one that's different and left out is Pesach, Passover. 
in the year Hebrew year 
We've got a total eclipse on the air of Pesach, another total eclipse on the air of Sukkot, a total eclipse on Pesach again, then there's a total solar eclipse on Rosh Hashanah, and another total uh, lunar eclipse on the air of Sukkot. That's four lunar eclipses in a row on holidays, and a total solar eclipse in the middle. That's even more dramatic than what we had this year, or we're going to have this upcoming next two years. And we cap the whole thing out with a little mini eclipse on the air of Pesach um, at the very, very end. So, we've got a lot of eclipses. It's a really, really interesting year. Um, the year also stands out. It's really weird um, because if you go back seven years, so again, again, go back to our calendar. This is April 24th, 1967, first total eclipse. Seven years prior would be 19, 1960. 1960, there was a total eclipse on Pori. So that's interesting. Okay, so what, what's that up there? Um, what's intriguing is that if you remember, all the other ones ended with Shushan and Purim. Remember that? They always ended with Purim. The last one in the, in the cycle was always Purim. This one ends with Pesach. It also starts, in a sense, for Pesach. Um, the only one to end with Passover and not uh, Purim. Also, if you add up the first year in 1960, that's the Hebrew year 5720, and you add up the last year, again, they don't add up. This is weird. This is unusual. Uh, I couldn't find a specific gematria to the number 23, which is the second number, um, exactly what that might be. But again, the first year, 1960, the Hebrew year is 2720, the number adds up to 14, uh, which again means David, or the word for gold, also has the same gematria as 14. Um, and of course, that's interesting because in 1967 is the year 5727. That is June 7th. 1967, Israel reconquers all of Jerusalem. It reunites the city for the first time under Jewish control, again, in a really, really long time. That was the city of David. The city of David, also the city, the city of gold. gold. Yeah. So, cool. Again, not that we can mix a predicting thing with it, but it's still cool. So cool. Now, this year, okay, now we've been through the whole history lesson. I hope you were able to follow there. You know, there's a lot going on. But this year, I'm going to walk through very slowly so we kind of highlight exactly what's going to be happening. And April 15th, that is in just a little bit over three months. Um, we pay taxes. And <laughs> we have Passover. We pay a deep freedom. Um, and that is a total lunar eclipse. By the way, interestingly enough, uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe encouraged us to pray and some fast when there's a lunar eclipse. Um, if you'd like to fast, if you're a firstborn, the day before these eclipses occur would be a really good day to fast. Traditionally, the day before Passover is known as the fast of the firstborn because, of course, they're remembering that on Passover, the firstborn of Israel were spared, but the firstborn of Egypt were killed. So, good day to fast for multiple reasons. Um, so, April of this year, we got a Passover eclipse on the, on the first day of Passover. Then Sukkot, or, or um, excuse me, Feast of Tabernacles, will have another total lunar eclipse on the era of the evening, before it begins, or as it begins. By the way, that is the Hebrew year 5775, which based off of the current system for the sabbatical years, the Shemitah years, will also be a Shemitah year in the land of Israel. Um, that is based off of a modern Jewish calculation. It doesn't go all the way back to Jesus' time or David's time or anything like that. Um, well, maybe, but we don't know. Right, but I don't, most likely,
likely not, because it's based off of when Jews enter the land of Israel, and it doesn't have anything to do, they don't know, they lost track, basically. In the midst of all the exiles, they lost track of what year it was and all that. Um, but they, they restarted the calendar for the sabbatical year, which happened every seven, to let the land rest, uh, starting uh, in the last couple hundred years. So we're going to have another rest year, starting in on Rosh Hashanah, I believe, of this upcoming year. Or this year, this year. This year. Um, so this particular Sukkot will fall during that Shemitah year. Shemitah starts in Sukkot. Starts, starts at the end of Sukkot. Uh, I was thinking it um, that was Jubilee. Okay. Same thing. Well, the Jubilee is the 50th. But, but, well, but they start at the same time. All right. Anyway, still highlights, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, then next year, April 4th, again, Passover, we're going to have another total lunar eclipse. And then it's... Uh, Brother Richard already pointed out, Air Rosh Hashanah, we're going to have a partial solar eclipse next year. And then Sukkot next year, we're going to have another total lunar eclipse. And then to clap the whole thing out, you probably haven't heard about this one, Air Purim of 2016 will have a little mini baby lunar eclipse. So, that's a lot of eclipses. And of course, no surprise, we ended up ending with Purim again. Three out of the four that we highlighted tonight have all ended with Purim. Maybe that's just the way that the dates fall, but that seems like a really odd coincidence, just, just to me. Especially because of the fact that the number of years we traverse in the Gregorian calendar have not always been the same. The first one was over, you know, like three years. The second one was over <coughs> four, and this one is over three. That's really interesting to me. The math shouldn't necessarily end up that way, but yes. Is this the first time that we've had a, a total lunar eclipse on Pesach Day itself? Um, Is that a, no. I don't remember seeing it before. I thought it was always Pesach, uh, era of Pesach. I don't I think there is. Uh, well, there are some. Uh, there was one earlier. It doesn't usually start with that. Okay. But there was one earlier that did do that. Um, so this is what's happening. From 2014 to 2016, a whole bunch of eclipses. It's also not on this list because it's not a holiday. Um, as you also pointed out, um, the first of Nisan, which is the beginning of the uh, Jewish religious calendar, God's religious calendar, um, in next year, so next March, end of March, is going to be another solar eclipse. There's a lot of stuff going on. Now, there's a cool pattern, and I love patterns, and patterns exciting. So, um, if you look at this, we've got Pesach Day, Erev Sukkot, Pesach Day, Erev Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot Day, Erev Purim. What do you see? Day, night, day, night, day, night. Which sounds pretty cool. I think that's fun. I think it's really exciting. This is interesting. Um, if you go seven years back, 2007, the last one that fell on an actual biblical Jewish holiday was Erev Purim, which, by the way, fits the pattern. Isn't that cool? So we have a night day, night day, night day, night pattern. Both capped off with Arab Purim on both of them, which is interesting. Again, does it mean anything? I don't know, but it seems cool. Both of the years, okay, remember we have 5767 was when we started this whole thing in 2007. It will end in the year 5776. You notice that those numbers are very similar. And there's a reason for that. They both add up to 25. 
Interestingly enough, and not saying this is anything significant, it probably isn't, but it could be, um, 25 plus 25 is 50, which is, of course, the Jubilee year. I don't know. Maybe. Um, which would theoretically possibly fall during the stretch, because we do have a Shemitah year in the middle of it. So when that ends, could be number 50. Might not be. Jewish tradition says Messiah will reveal to us when the 50th year is, so we're kind of waiting for that. But it's a little interesting. Um, the odd year, again, remember I, I showed you that, that each of these years have been having like a partner. Each holiday has a partner in the Jewish year, the Jewish date. The one that's left out is 5774, which by the way is this year. So just like all the other ones, all the other sets we've had, the very first one is all by its lonesome. Now, in case you haven't remembered what happened over the last three times this has occurred, the first year that this set begins is always the most interesting year in history. 1492, 1960, 48, 1967. The other ones are fascinating, but the first year is always the most interesting. It's also the first year that always has Um, so 
that's a great about in addition, whenever the Israelis and the Palestinians are negotiating peace, unfortunately, violence it's seems to go up. In fact, in the last few, uh, few months, there have been multiple uh, either terror attacks or attempts. Um, even just recently, there was a, a Palestinian police officer who was apprehended as part of a group that was trying to bomb a bus. So um, it's, uh, there's some scary stuff going on there. Yes, sir? I was just going to point out that in July, you're talking about Don Kerry, Secretary of State. Yeah, yeah. In July, he said uh, at the at the start of the Palestinian-Israeli peace negotiation, he said it'd be a nine-month process. Right. Well, that takes you to April. It does. Which is at best. Okay, fine. Yeah. And then a few days ago, he stated we will have a peace in place by Aesop. Right. So that now, was always their plan. They have because of the fact that negotiations aren't going really well. I mean, hey, they're, they're trying to resolve some pretty much unresolvable issues. So. Um, they are now scaling back a little bit and basically saying, how about we just have a roadmap to peace? Like, you do this, this, and this generally by the end of the whole process, and here's how we're going to kind of get there over the next several years. Um, which, I don't know, kind of almost sounds like a seven-year peace treaty. But anyway, um, not to say that's going to happen. I'm not saying that. I'm on the tape, I'm not saying that. But, um, again, it's something to pray about, I think. I think it's an important event. Yes, sir. Well, it just occurred to me that you started out by saying that the solar eclipses tend to be bad for the world. The lunar eclipses tend to be bad for Israel. But the last three or four that you've shown us was the establishment of the state of Israel. And oh, I guess the first one was pretty crummy. Yeah. Getting kicked out of Spain. But if the wine isn't good, I mean, really, why do you want to stay? So, so we've got the establishment of the state of Israel, and you've got the Six-Day War where they got Jerusalem back. Right. So it could be that this is this is good could rather be. than bad. But I want to highlight that while the end result of both of those years, in a sense, were good, they were surrounded by some pretty awful conflict. Agreed. The Israeli independence was immediately preceded, or well, that's already in the middle of it, but it preceded what became the Israeli-Arab War, right. which lasted all the way until 1949. Um, and it was extremely violent. You had a lot of Israeli people. Um, it was one of the bloodiest wars, I think, for them in their history. Um, 1967 was not so bad, but again, it was a war, so it's not exactly a pleasant experience. And a lot of Israel's, um, let's just say that, I don't, I don't say their problems come from that, because it's not really fair. Their problems are older than that. But <laughs> even in the midst of the conflict, it, it looks like they came out on top, they at least did. in two of them. And it did. But and you're right, they had a lot of conflict. So it's not to say that it's, um, again, like I would start, well, I think I said at the very beginning of the lesson, this, the eclipses are not to predict the future. I don't believe that's what God wants us to do. I don't think that's what we should be doing. It's merely simply to, to think about praying for stuff. And I'm not trying to predict what's going to happen this year. I'm just trying to say that here are some things that might involve this next couple of years and be worth watching and praying about um, as you're thinking of, huh, eclipse passed over yesterday. Maybe I should pray for something. What do I pray for? How about this? Um, moving forward, uh, Iran is another big, big one, uh, potentially a big deal this year. Um, the Iranians just recently have tried to start off, kind of agreed with the world uh, on kind of like a nuclear freeze, where they're going to stop with their progress on nuclear weapons in exchange for some like lessening of sanctions. Um, of course, the bad news for that is that the progress of nuclear weapons. Um, it's only like the official progress. I mean, there's no way to know if they're not still researching, you know, how to build them up. You know, you can re 
So um, there is not, it's not out of the realm of possibility that sometime in the next six months or a year or two, you could have a situation where wake up one morning and the Iranians have the nuclear weapons. They're, they have specifically referred to the United States as the great Satan. They're currently working on missiles that can travel, well, rather rockets that can travel in space, which has some obvious um, possible correlations to um, intercontinental ballistic missiles. So bad guys, very bad guys, and they're trying to get the worst weapons on Earth. Um, and they might have an opportunity to do that, unfortunately. Uh, remember, one of the uh, literary books passed that we read in the book of Ezekiel was about the country of Egypt. Um, right now, Egypt is a mess. Egypt is a big mess. And they've now gone through like multiple leaders. They, they, they kicked out their dictator only to vote in a guy who ended up trying to become a dictator, only then kick him out with the army, who are now ruling like a dictatorship. So it's a mess in Egypt, and there's no guarantee that it'll get better. In fact, it's very well get worse. Um, if you read throughout, throughout prophecies about Egypt, it ends well. They end with redemption and salvation and forgiveness. But before they get to that point, it is an unbelie right. unbelievably awful uh, road to that point. Um, now, you might think, well, the Egyptians, I mean, I don't really know anyone in Egypt. I don't really care. At the very least, minimum, the Egyptians control the Suez Canal, through which a large portion of the world's oil goes through. So if you, you know, are concerned about your gas prices and your heating costs, more reason to be intrigued. Um, Damascus, uh, the capital of Syria, they're currently in the midst of a really ruthless, long-standing civil war that's killed well over 100,000 people. Um, the Syrian government was accused and essentially proven to have used chemical weapons of their own people, and now supposedly getting rid of those chemical weapons. But again, another passage of prophecy that hasn't necessarily been fulfilled, at least not in full, is that Damascus is supposed to be absolutely level at some point. Just no more people there forever. Um, now, it's been hit hard over the, over the course of centuries, um, but that's never happened. Could it happen? I don't know. But there's another thing to be interested in uh, watching for. Um, last one here that's been coming up more recently. Um, the enemy of Israel has almost always come from the north for some reason. So apparently one reason is because where Jerusalem sits, its most vulnerable location is from the north. Um, so God repeatedly sends uh, enemies, Babylon, the name of the Israel, to exile, they come arcing in from the north, from Jerusalem. Um, the Assyrians were the north of Israel. And Gog and Magog and all of the horrific battles at the end of time all involve an army from the north. They're described as coming from the north. Um, some people have suggested it's possible that could involve Russia, and the Russians have been becoming very, very naughty these days, um, and very powerful. They recently were involved in the whole arrangement with Syria here in their chemical weapons. Um, the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, um, or is he prime minister now? He keeps switching titles, which is more powerful at the moment. Um, and he, um, <laughs> he actually uh, made out of that event with the Syrians looking really good. He looked very powerful. He was a big player. He was the one who made it all happen. And uh, he seems to be trying to cash in some. Um, the Russians and the Iranians have always been friends. Again, America's enemies, um, Israel's enemies. But then the Russians recently have been having a really awkward back and forth with the Saudi Arabians. Because the Saudis um, don't like all of the people that Russia's friends with. And they're trying to become more powerful in the Middle East. So they're kind of, it's like half the articles you read are saying the Russians and the Saudis are about to form some crazy alliance and like cut the Americans out. 
the other half of the article is to read are the Russians are really mad at the Saudis, and the Saudis are threatened to you know, launch terror attacks at the Winter Games in the Olympics. And so basically the point being, um, the Russians are back in the news. You know, there was a stretch not too long ago where we thought, wow, the Russian bear is dead. Um, they had a really old, sick guy who was running them, um, and they were a wonderful democracy that was we have proven that Reagan was right and the world will be a better place forever. But utopia did not happen. Instead, the Russians are, I love Reagan, by the way, but um, in this particular issue, the utopia did not occur, and we have bad guys coming back. So those are just a handful of things. Many things could happen. Many things, many things may not happen. It could be really boring the next three years, and you're all going to go, well, well, we got some cool photos out of that. Um, but the point is, again, it's a good reminder to be praying. And I think that's that's what I really want to get at the end of this lesson. It's not to say um, doom and gloom. It's not to say not doom and gloom. It's simply to say that when God does big things, it's good to, to take note of that and to be praying about stuff. It's good to take note of yourself, be praying about yourself. Um, I'll be honest with you, if you're a righteous guy and you need an eclipse, to get you to get your life straightened out, you got bigger problems. But um, it's still a good reminder. It's like those fast days that pop up every now and again in the Jewish calendar. It's a good point to take, take stock of yourself, spend some more time in prayer, spend some more time in repentance, and then be thinking about what God is doing in the world. Um, got some credits here from a wonderful from NASA. Any questions or comments? Judah? Um, what did you say about the seven years that was really cool about the whole seven years thing? Um, end of time relates a lot to almost Joseph's time in Egypt. There's seven years of just lots of stuff. The end of time, there's seven years with Joseph. And you were also saying how um, it was just this seven years really got me. Yeah, God likes to number seven. It shows up a lot, which is one reason and why I thought that was so cool with the offsetting with the seventh year. Also, you were saying to pray about big things that will probably happen. Lots of big things happened in Egypt, and Joseph prayed about those, and, well, that led to a lot of big things. That's true. Big things happened in Egypt the last time we are talking about this, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, be in prayer. Any other comments? Yes, sir. So much if I get you here. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't want to say what you think is going to happen. I can make a guess, but it doesn't matter. But you're betting that something's going to happen. And it's probably going to involve Israel. That's a safe bet, I think, but not guaranteed. So, no matter how you look at it, God's at work. Absolutely. And we may actually be able to know ahead of time that he's doing what he's doing. That's not unusual. God makes a point to saying that he always reveals to his prophets what he is going to do. Ahead of time. And Yeshua states specifically that he tells his disciples ahead of time so they can believe. Right. Um, again, I'm be careful here. It's not a predictor. I can't say right. definitively, thus saith the Lord. I'm not, I'm not saying you should have or that I'm disappointed. <laughs> I just want to, I want to summarize and make sure I got it here that we should be Paying attention. Right. And if we're paying attention, we should be praying. Absolutely. Very good. You might not know the answer to this, but I was interested in knowing since when have they been able to sort of predict by cal 
population eclipses and whatnot. Wow. He's like, NASA can go back until Adam was, you know, like back a little short. But not going forward. That's actually what I'm wondering. Yes, that's 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 the same. Well, it's the same concept, actually, because science, uh, of course, I mean, <laughs> we're only talking, looking at the heavens with any kind of accuracy is only a couple hundred years old, really. So for NASA to predict what happened in, like, 1492 is just as uh, you know, unlikely or just as complicated as their calculations for today. It's all based on computers. You basically look at what's been happening, and then you project based off of that with, you know, sort of some ridiculously complicated math problems, we can thank Fred Espinac and G. Mayus for that. Um, that when, I mean, that NASA specifically, I mean, it's NASA. Like, we're not talking just like, you know, some guy went through and said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, or I bet this happened. I mean, this, <laughs> NASA actually has, you go on their website, they have a lunar eclipse website and a solar eclipse website. And both of them have projections, again, they're calculated, they're not definite, but projections that go 5,000 years total. So it's basically all the way up until like the year 2200, so 200 years from now, and all the way back like 2800 years. So you can, I mean, I, I would have gone even further except for the fact that A, the governmental calendar doesn't matter at that point. We'll be dead. Yeah, right, well, the, the future, but in the past, I would have gone back for the past beyond zero, but the Gondon calendar was not in effect, so it's kind of irrelevant whether it lines up with the holidays in a sense, I mean, really anachronistic. Um, and B, plus you believe that the uh, Issachar people really did come up with it. Um, but the B, the other, the other major point being that um, I don't really know exactly what year some of the stuff happens when you just start going back before zero. Um, history becomes a whole lot more wishy-washy. It's like, it'd be really cool to see if there were a whole bunch of eclipses happening around the Exodus, but if you'd like to predict which year that was, you know more than I do. So um, I just focused on the last, you know, 500 years to that, the whole of a recent. Um, a lot of the work was done for me, the websites I kept putting up. Um, other people, to their credit, have apparently gone through all of NASA's information and pulled out those cool dates. I simply reap the benefits of that with electricity. Yes, sir? Can you maybe make it known to the class and whoever is listening why the Gamelel calendar is important. Is oh, it, is it Gamelel or is it Solel? I think it's Solel. I'm sorry, I said Gamelel, but I meant Yeah. Um, Throw the rest of the class off. Hillel calendar. Hillel 2. The calendar was designed because um, traditionally in the Bible, if you look at the biblical handling of the holidays, um, it is based on the moon. It is based on, not just the moon, but generally, primarily the moon. Um, and, and also some of the seasons, but they need a Sanhedrin in Israel to declare that yes, that is the right time of the month based on the moon, and yes, that is springtime for Passover and so on and so forth. As Israel was scattered abroad after the um, in and around the Roman exile, that became a problem because unlike today, they didn't have the internet in the year like 150. So they couldn't just, so it wasn't so easy to say, hey guys, by the way, that was Passover three months ago because that's not how long it took the camel to get here. So instead, what they ended up doing, because I mean, the Sanhedrin is, you know, then it's like who's in charge, who's, which moon are we looking at, all sorts of mess. Hillel II came up with an incredibly accurate calendar um, that, like these lunar eclipse predictions, can go anywhere in the future, basically, and anywhere in the past, um, that lines up. Now, it's some controversy there because uh, there are some times where it may not necessarily line up precisely the same, like some people say it should with the, with the lunar setup. 
And there are some situations where, uh, well, there's an entire movement of people who say it doesn't fit the physical model. Small, they, small movement. Yeah. But they're, 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 they're pesky, like a little, little dog, you know, um, the Karaks. So their interest in, um, in trying to debunk that, I think the Eclipse thing kind of implies the Hello Calendar has some validity to it, just because it's like, Absolutely. that's interesting. Like, God like, would line up all of these cool eclipses on the Hello Calendar dates, and specifically um, have them like occur at multiple times in years of significance. Like, it's not just, oh, that's kind of cool, or what happened that year. But like the last four or the last three times, um, it was always a big deal. So I think that's really cool. I don't know if definite, but that speaks to me. Yes, sir. I think you implied that you know we can't go back because it would be anachronistic. But I personally don't think that Hello placed a calendar in place that shifted everything a few days off. I personally believe you not only can take his calendar to when he created it or um, put it in place, but it would it would work going back because he was consistent with practice at that point. And I think that the eclipses could actually show us something. No, it would be really interesting. If I had better, I, my biggest reason for that, though, was simply the historical dates and not knowing what happened when. Exactly. Like, I'd love to tell you when the temple was built. Yeah, but or I Joshua had, conquering, yeah. Right. I mean, there's actually enormous debate about, even within, like, biblical historians who actually believe the Bible is true, there's the enormous debate about when did David occur, when did Solomon around, when did the Exodus happen. In fact, even if you go from the Bible, there's debate about how many years were they in Egypt, how many years were they in conquering the land of Israel, how many years were the judges, it's a lot of that. So, history's a bit complicated that way. But, uh, this year, this year is where we are right now. The only year you've got. Be sure to be, be, sure to be praying. And um, I think that pretty much wraps me up. Well done. Good class. Thanks. <laughs>